0: And this is really where we pick up the text and we understand how it is that Jesus has declared himself to be the source of the church. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? There's a lot of talk going around. There's a lot of gossip happening. A lot of people are murmuring about me, right? Uh, Up until this point, they haven't been able to understand. They couldn't understand the idea of not washing your hands. They couldn't understand the idea uh, of the bread. Uh, Peter couldn't understand, you know, the the Pharisees couldn't understand the idea of the signs of the times. Jesus is calling them out continually saying, you don't understand, you don't perceive. When will you gain understanding about who I am? So then he comes out directly and says it. No more beating around the bush here. Okay, fellas, it's time. It's time to take the test. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So the response? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, that's who they say, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Is your opinion going to fluctuate with the whims of men? Are your opinions going to be determined by another man's assessment? Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replies this you are the christ you are the christ the son of the living god not a prophet although a prophet not simply a priest although a priest not simply a king although a king but god the christ and then jesus goes on to say this blessed are you Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is our text. I tell you, Peter... On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what is the church? This word that Jesus uses, it's a Greek word for church. It's basically the word ecclesia or ecclesia. And it's a simple word. It's a common word. It's it's nothing special, really, in the context of the Greek culture, really. It just simply means assembly. So when we come together and assemble, we are the church. So when we come together as followers of Christ, we are Christ's church. We are the assembly. It's simply a, a Greek word that's classically just translated as assembly. Really? That's it. In the Hebrew, it's kahal, but it means the same thing. It means assembly. And in the context of the Christian, it really denotes the whole body of the redeemed. Those who have called upon Christ. Those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Those who have believed in the gospel of Christ. Those who have put their faith in what he's done. The fact that he's gone to the cross and he has shed his blood not only for you, but for the church, so that you can be reconciled to God, be brought near to God through the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sin. That is the redeemed church. We are redeemed from darkness into light, redeemed from rebellion to righteousness by the blood of Christ. The man who came and lived a perfect life and died a death that was reserved for us he comes and lives and dies and suffers and rises so that we can be redeemed. And he did it because he loved the Father more than anything and became completely obedient to the plans and the purposes of God. And by his work and by his death, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from the power of sin and one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. That is the redeemed people of God. And that is the church. That is the ecclesia. In the New Testament, it refers simply to a group of Christians associating together and observing the ordinances of the gospel, that's the church, the ecclesia, and this is the word he uses. He says, "I will build my church." So, I want us to see here three things about this text that I think is going to inform and give it, give us greater understanding of why we are to love the church. First is this: three things. We see precedence. We see power and we see possession all in this text, Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 18. Let me draw your attention to the beginning part. Look at what precedence Jesus puts forth here this morning. He says this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I mentioned this last week. Peter didn't read the tea leaves right he didn't follow the popular opinion of the rest of the people around him you know he didn't weigh his options when coming to this understanding he didn't rely on his own wisdom to come to this conclusion peter comes and says who jesus says who are you he says you are the christ and what does jesus say Hey, great job figuring that out, Simon. (laughs) Hey, great job reading the signs. No, what did he say? He said, blessed are you. Why? You did not come to this conclusion on your own. This comes by a divine inspiration, by a divine revelation from who? The Father himself. This comes directly from heaven. See, you are sitting here this morning as a believer in Christ and as a follower of Christ, as a member of Christ's church. You did not come here by your own wisdom or by your own faculties. You did not weigh your options and think, oh, this is just the best thing to do. This is going to benefit me the most. You are here because God has divinely revealed himself to you and you have chosen to believe and live by faith. That is why you are here. That is why you are part of this body. So he goes on to say, And I tell you, You are Peter. It's so interesting. Peter makes a beautiful declaration about Christ. And what does Christ do in return? He makes a most stunning declaration about Peter. Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus turns around and says, Yeah, but you know who you are? You are Peter. You are the one in which I will build my church upon. So, Christ sets this precedent. The declaration of Peter's name is really interesting because the, the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek is the word petros, which is the masculine verb of rock or stone. But the interesting thing is, is that this word was never used typically for a name for a person. I mean, there were not a bunch of petroses running around, you know, in, in, in Jesus' time. There weren't a bunch of dudes named Petros at this time this this word this this phrase uh, that's used to um to to give to peter was 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 virtually unknown as a personal name in this time and so that says a lot about jesus's desire about jesus's willingness about his uh, about what he was intending to do with peter there's a lot of talk about you know, whether or not Jesus really meant, was it Peter he was going to build his church upon, and, you know, and all of the, the Roman Catholicism and all the implications it has with that about how Rome looks at this passage and, and you know, substantiates the papacy and blah, 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 and we're not going to get into that. But it is true. If you look at the text for what it is, if you look at the words for what they are and how they work together, Jesus is saying, Peter... Or Simon, your name is now Peter. Petros means rock, means stone. And so it is, yes, you that I will build my church upon. It is Peter. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. It is Peter. And so he lays down this precedent. It is upon Peter that he will build his church. And he lends credence to this name by referring to Peter as The rock. Why would you rename someone that means rock or stone if he indeed was not that person? So it is. By all accounts, when we study the text, it is Peter that Jesus says, I will build my church upon. And here's the coolest thing about this, the man, the disciple who was the most unstable the most impulsive and the most erratic, right? I mean, that's his reputation. Jesus comes to him and says, no, 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 no. Now I'm changing your name and your identity is going to change as well. Not, are you, you are not now going to be known for your unstableness, for abandoning me at the most critical time. Your impulsiveness or your erratic behavior, you're going to be known as the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. Simon Peter. You are the rock. You are the stone. You are the stable one. You are the consistent one. And Peter is going to be the one that is most instrumental in establishing Christ's church. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We see it all through Acts. Through Peter, the Gentiles come in. You know? Through Peter, uh, the, the Jews come in to the gospel. So Peter is this one now who is a rock and a stone, suited and stable for churches, for Christ's church to be built upon. Peter would not be supreme above the rest of the apostles, but he would carry a sense of seniority. You know, the the idea that Jesus was building his church on all of the apostles is absolutely true. And through them and through the prophets, Jesus has done that in Ephesians chapter two, verse 20. But Jesus singles out Peter as if Peter's a spokesperson for the rest and says, on this foundation, I will build my church it is upon not only this man i want you guys to see this but upon his confession his confession through divine revelation why because it's con- his confession that leads to how he teaches and leads the church See, what what does Peter say here again? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus says, okay, you know this, you confess this. This has been revealed to you divinely. And so upon this, upon you, Peter, and upon your confession, the truth that has been implanted in you by divine revelation, I will build my church. What is Christ building his church on? The fact that he is the son of the living God. That is what he builds his church upon. It is that testimony, it is that truth. So it is not just the man, but the confession and the revelation that leads to the teaching that Peter gives to the church and how he will lead the church going forward. If Peter does not confess this in Matthew chapter 16, he cannot give a Pentecost sermon calling people to repentance in Acts chapter two, but he does. And it is in Peter's leadership and the revelation given to him that the church is birthed. Listen, Look at 1 Peter with me for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't have these kind of outlined here, so I have to turn to them. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. We get a better understanding of how all of this works. Maybe be saying to yourself, but doesn't Christ build the church on himself? Yes, he does, absolutely. He is the cornerstone, but there are stones that are being laid for the foundation for the church to be built upon, and Peter refers to these here in verses 4 to 8. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, being Christ rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So this morning, with your consistent devotion to the church, you are as living stones. God is placing you as he's building the church. And it's on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus as being the cornerstone, the chief stone, the one which everything is set by. But we, as as people coming every week and participating in the assembly of Christ's church. What does Peter say we are? You yourselves. He's talking to the church like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house on this foundation to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus for it stands in the scriptures. When we come this morning and we offer our praises to God, Jimmy said it this morning, Lord, let these things be acceptable to you. Do not presume on God that your worship is acceptable to him. But worship him with a sense of reverence and awe and joy and anticipation and loveliness and delight and and posture your heart to the best you can to think on, to delight in the things of God and to offer your worship to him that hopefully he will receive. Do not presume on your worship, but let it come and flow with a sense of integrity and honor, lowliness and brokenness. This is what he says. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Simply talking about those who rejected him, the teachers, Pharisees, those who were so astute in the law understood and thought they understood the Messiah and how he would come and what form he would take. Peter saying, they rejected him. But you who have received, you are now living stones. Living stones being built up. Being built up as a spiritual house by Christ. I already mentioned Ephesians 2.20. Talks about... Uh, that Christ laying the foundation on the apostles and the prophets, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, with him being the cornerstone. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, uh, this is a a really main text that I want to kind of keep coming back to in this series. uh, When Peter gives that beautiful message, the church is birthed, and they're meeting together. In verse 42, we read this in Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves, the church, Coming together, they devoted themselves to what? First, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But what is it first that they were devoted to? The apostles' teaching. Who are the apostles? Peter is the apostle. How is it that the church is built? It's built on Peter and his confession of who Christ is. And it's that divine revelation that leads to the teaching and the instruction in the church. And so when uh, Luke is, is, is... is talking about the church being birthed and them coming together and being devoted to one another. What is first that they're devoted to? The apostles' teaching. Why? Because Jesus said, that's what I'll build my church on. I will build my church on Peter and what he knows and what I've revealed to him. So it is to be that the church is built first and foremost on the word of God. Secondly, precedence is one. Secondly, is power. If you come back to Matthew chapter 16, you'll see Jesus referring to power. He says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, here it is, I will build. Who is chiefly designed and determined to build the church? Christ. Christ is building his church. It is through Christ's will. Christ says, I will build my church. It is through Christ's will that he builds the church. It's through Christ's will that the church is built. It is Christ building the church, and no man shall compete with this energizing force required to complete this task. Jesus is the only one capable, the only one that has been set apart to do this very work. It is by the ability of Christ that his church is established. It is by his capacity that it's maintained. It is by his competence that it will thrive and infinitely exist. It will exist eternally through every iteration of persecution and every wave of resistance and conflict. The beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is it's eternal. It does not die. That's why Jesus said, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That term, that idea is really just an image of death to the Jew. The gates of Hades is the symbol of death. And so what Jesus is saying is that this thing that I am building is forever. And so when we come to Christ, when he comes and returns and redeems us fully, and we are ushered into eternity with him, we as the church will live in glory with Christ in his presence. That is a promise of Christ through his word. Nothing will destroy the church, not even death. And thirdly, actually let me just say this one more thing. Christ has shown himself in his declaration of the one exclusive and solely building the church to be supreme, to be preeminent, as not only the source, he is the source but the constructor and the maintainer of this. This is not up to your ability. You are not formed and fashioned to maintain this, nor am I, but it is Christ who does it. And finally, possession. Look at what he says here. He says, I will build, Christ is building, and what is he building? not just any assembly, not just any congregation, not just any group of people, but he's building his church. This is Christ's church. What did he say? I will build our church. No, (laughs) he didn't say that. He said, I will build my church. This is his. When you come and participate, and are a part of this assembly, this congregation, this meeting, you are a part of something that solely belongs to Christ. Christ is building the church, and it's his. This assembly is not a general in nature. It is not consisting of an assembly of politicians or athletes or the social elite, although those People may make up the church. This is not that type of a congregation. This congregation's identity is focused uncompromisingly on Christ himself. He becomes the sole focus and the defining characteristic. And he declares his sole possession of it. Okay. I'm going to get a little. I don't know if I've been intense or passionate this morning, (laughs) but I'm going to probably kick it up a notch if you don't mind. This is something that's really resonated in my heart as I just view the landscape of the evangelical church as a whole and some of the things that I see taking place um that really brings a lot of grief to my heart um for me I just love the church so much that when I see reproach being brought on the church it really bothers me and it really upsets me and um I get quite emotional about about it. And I I know that you guys may not know fully what I'm referring to, but let me just kind of work through this for a moment. First, I just want to say that Christ's church does not belong to men. It does not belong to a nation nor a political party does not belong to entertainers, or educators, or theologians, or pastors, or evangelists, but it belongs to Christ. Sometimes, sometimes, I was thinking about this this morning, just going over this text, And I thought to myself, God, how have you given me the privilege to preach on such an amazing text? Such an amazing revelation. How can I stand up here and expound upon and help explain exactly what you're saying when you say, This is my church and I'm building it. I'm completely humbled by this responsibility to be able to hopefully hopefully expound on this for you and gain a sense of clarity and understanding. Of this. And so this piece just kind of comes from my heart. I shouldn't say it's just something that I felt, but it's rooted in the truth. It's just not something I've made up. But it's something that is very personal for me. See, man is not free to invent, form, or shape the church in any manner they desire. We have not been given that responsibility. Man has not been given the discretion to do whatever it pleases with Christ's church. We cannot teach whatever we want. We cannot pass off our opinions as truth. We cannot claim that God spoke to us and make that the basis of how we lead. We yield. All of us, especially me and Shanna, we yield to the commands of Christ. We yield to the teachings of Christ. We yield to the prescriptions of Christ presented to us in his word. And that is what we will be guided by, first and foremost, more than anything else. Any church that makes little of the teachings of Christ found in the scriptures to make much of their own personal revelations and feelings is not Christ's church. Let me say that again. Any church that makes little of this, makes little of his teachings, makes little of his truth, found in his word, abandons that to make much of their own personal truth, their own opinion, their own revelations, and their own feelings, is not Christ's church. Christ said, I will build my church and you will be devoted to the apostles' teachings. First and foremost, you will be devoted to the revealed word that I have supplied for you that is sufficient and proficient and able and up to the task of leading and guiding my people. So, why should we love the church? We should love the church because it is the only institution Christ has declared that he will build. That's why you must love the church. It's the only institution that he has promised to build, to orchestrate, to construct. This is it. This is the pinnacle of the kingdom heavenly expression on earth, right here, you and me. Gathering together to worship and to hear the word of the Lord declared. That's why we are to love the church. Jesus didn't say he was building a government. He didn't say he was building an educational system. He didn't say he was building a philosophical movement or a just economic structure or a moral entertainment conglomerate. He said he would build one thing, his church. And his church will not be built with human wisdom or strategies or counsel. Christ will not build his church on human methods or formulas or growth tracks or gimmicks. It will not be sustained by sensationalism or emotional highs or manipulating hype or hyper-spiritualism or psychological comfort or therapeutic practices, trendy words or smooth sayings. It will not be built upon the false promises of success, self-improvement, guaranteed health or wealth. It will be built and sustained by Christ and upon Christ as the chief cornerstone and upon the testimony, the truth, and the teachings along with the apostles and the prophets and the foundational truth that he declares. And these doctrines that were given to them by the Holy Spirit, this is what will guide us. Christ's church will endure through the transformative power of Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the bold, unashamed, unadulterated, uncompromising declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the church is built upon. That is what you are a part of. You must love the church because it's the only thing Jesus is building. And so that is why we must be a part of it. We must be devoted, committed. Not when it's convenient. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Not when it's convenient. Not when we feel like it. (laughs) Not when our schedule allows. Every time these doors open, your desire should be, I wanna be here. I wanna be here and be a part of what Christ is building. Amen?